You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, as we uh, dive into today's little letter, this is a series over three tiny letters in the New Testament, one of them not so tiny, but still smaller. Uh, we've uh, done 1 John before, so this series is on 2 John, which was last week. Today is 3 John, and then next week we begin like a couple of weeks in the small letter of Titus. It's a little bit longer, so it's going to be a couple of weeks for Titus. And each one covers a different kind of perspective or attitude or way. And and this one in particular is unlike any letter in the New Testament, 3 John. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about being a kid first. I mean, I was talking to some people yesterday about cartoons on Sunday, on Saturday mornings. You guys remember Saturday morning cartoons? Before there was like Boomerang and Cartoon Network. As a kid, the only place you got cartoons was on Saturday morning. And uh, they, they ended at about 11.30, right? They ended about 11, 11.30, and then the boring Saturday shows came on. You know, sometimes you might catch a Godzilla movie or something, uh, you know, early in the afternoon. But, but basically, man, you lived for Saturday mornings, right? That was, the, man, it didn't matter what happened Friday night, how late you stayed up or tried to stay up. I mean, the earliest is, man, get that bowl of cereal, get in front of that TV. It's cartoon morning, right? Maybe you guys remember those days. Now it's like, man, cartoon 24 hours a day, pick your channel or video on demand. But man, those days were pretty special. But man, when you're a kid, uh, I couldn't wait for, I love cartoons. I still love cartoons. Any adults still love cartoons? All right. Good for you. Uh, I love cartoons. And and we, we watch cartoons as a family still. And uh, I'm not going to tell you which ones I like because you probably think I'm stupid. Um, I do love SpongeBob. Uh, don't shout me down. Uh, but there's others. Uh, but the, the, the point is, is, man, there came a point where all I could, man, if I could just get to Saturday morning, life would be okay. Right? It's like, just get. And then when you wake up at like 10 o'clock, you're like, man, I ain't got time for breakfast. I ain't got time for nothing. I only got an hour of cartoons left. Get out of my way. You know, it's, it's like, and then you're like stuck with like the late afternoon cartoons, which were not, the best ones always seem to be like at 8 in the morning, right? And at 7 in the morning. The earlier cartoons seem to be the best. So, I mean, and if you woke up late, it's like, get out of my way, you know? And uh, But there's an immaturity there that I couldn't see past the morning, couldn't see past the day. As, as we grow older, we look past a day. We look past a week. We look past a month. I mean, if you're in elementary school, man, you just, you're just lucky to get through the next couple of weeks. That's as far as you can think. And then in junior high, you start thinking about maybe the next semester, and you start thinking about maybe the next six months. And then you get into high school, maybe you start thinking about a year out. You know, you get to junior, you start thinking two or three years out. You become a senior, and all of a sudden you're really thinking about college, you start thinking about four or five years out. You know what maturity is? Maturity is your ability to see into the future. The farther you can see into the future, the more mature and more sensible your choices will be today. And that's why children sometimes make very, very poor choices because they can't see past today, tomorrow, or a week. They can't get past themselves. And today I'm going to talk about a guy who could not get past himself. Today's message is called Three Men and a Baby. And we're going to talk about four men in Third John, and one of them is just a big baby. See, Paul wrote this, 
It means changing the way you think. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. You know, as a child, you, you say things without thinking. You, you think through things in a very immature way, very self-centered, short-oriented way, and you reason things out. You, what you look for and what you want are based purely on the now and on your feelings. And, and so and the idea of reasoning is, is not something that's part of, of how a child thinks, you know. But there was a time, he says, that that's when I did. I used to talk like a child, think like a child, act like a child, uh, I used to reason like a child. And then when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, today is about a man who never grows up, and this is not about not having fun anymore, okay? Because I'm a child in spirit. In fact, Jesus said, come unto me like these little ones. We are to remain and to keep that, that spirit of adventure, that youthful spirit, that sense of fun and adventure. But this is about maturity, the ability to think through your choices and what you're doing. This is not about being uh, so mature that you can't have fun, but it's about being mature in the way that you think. Here's a background check on 3 John, and this kind of applies to last week and next week. Is it? I want to tell you a little bit about the world in which this letter was written. This was written by the Apostle John to a mystery church, but it was this, this is what makes this letter unique. It was written not to a church, but to a good friend of John, an individual, not addressed to a church, uh, but it does address church issues. But let me tell you a little bit about that time. It was a time where the world the dominant world culture was dominated by the Roman Empire. As you can see there, that's the ancient Roman Empire. At the time uh, that this letter was written, uh, Rome had conquered a lot of the known world at that time, uh, even reaching far beyond the reaches of, of that orange area. They, they conquered a lot of Europe. They conquered a lot of, um, of Great Britain, uh, a lot of that area, which before it was Great Britain. Um, they began to basically enforce their laws, but allowed people to keep and maintain their religious beliefs. Uh, they were usually at war at all times. There wasn't a time in the history of the Roman Empire where they were not at war somewhere to keep the people within their empire under control. In fact, at this time, as you can see where Israel, Jerusalem is, Israel had long been gone for hundreds of years. And for the last several hundred years, uh, they had been a Roman province. They were just basically a city within the kingdom of Rome. They were not Israel, but they were made up of people who were Hebrews, who were descendants of the nation of Israel. Former Israel now has a strong police and military presence at all times. You might see this in the Jesus pictures where you see Roman soldiers and stuff. That's because Israel did not exist. It was a Roman province, and uh, the soldiers maintained law and order. So there was local police, and then there was government Roman soldiers that were always on the scene. Now, the political arena of the early church was very similar to ours. It was very pagan. Uh, pagan meaning just lost. It was, a, it was a very inclusive pagan culture. In fact, Rome acclimated all the cultures and they began to merge many of their religious beliefs uh, into one central belief system that basically allowed anybody to believe anything as long as they did one thing. They bowed the knee to the emperor as God. 
And so they didn't matter who you worshipped or what you worshipped or what you called it or what religion you were or what you believed or didn't believe as long as you bowed the knee to the Roman emperor as deity. Now, that was a problem because there were two groups that refused to do that. The first group was Jewish people. They said, no, there is only one God, and, and emperor, you're not it. Nero, you're not it. Tacitus, you're not it. And so uh, Christians uh, also, who, who were the fulfillment of the Jewish faith uh, through Jesus Christ, they also said, no way, we will not bow the knee to the Roman Empire. So these two groups, the Jewish people and the Christians, were constantly persecuted by the Roman government because they saw their denial of the emperor as deity as dangerous to the unity of the empire. So if you didn't bow, you could believe whatever you want as long as you bowed the knee to the government. As long as you bowed your knee and said he is the final authority, but both Jews and Christians said no, our God is the final authority. So they were often arrested. They were thrown to the lions. They were persecuted. They were separated from their family. They were put in prison. And each group responded differently. The Jewish people responded with riots, with a lot of hate towards the Roman government. Uh, they picketed, they protested, they rioted, uh, they murdered in the name of, uh, of their God. And they caused a lot of trouble. They, there was a particular group of people that were called zealots that were basically in charge of this kind of violent response to this oppression. Christians, however, followed the words of Jesus, and they chose to love their enemies, to pray for those that persecute them, and they blessed those that curse them. And we see this time and time with Christians responding with submission courage, grace, and peace. Peter said this. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. He says, man, you got to remember the government, whether we like it or not, they are there to enforce the laws and we are there to submit to them. We can do this because this is not our home. We can do this because this is not our final destination. We have a higher cause and a higher kingdom that we bow the knee to. This is just this is the affairs of this world, and we are to keep our eyes focused on the kingdom of God. And in the process, we are to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. I want you to realize, Peter, when he wrote that, by the way, uh, it was it was believed it was being the in the late. Uh, 60s, which would have been during the time of Nero. Nero was an emperor in, uh, in this time period that hated Christians. In fact, it's believed that he burned down a large portion of the city of Rome, blamed it all Christians, starting a massive hatred uh, towards Christians where Christians were slaughtered, uh, mutilated, arrested, dragged out of their homes, and a lot of it had to do with Nero. Nero also began to arrest. He would kill Christians and put their heads on poles and put them all over Rome to intimidate Christians and those that would not bow the knee to him. And in the midst of all of that violence and oppression, Peter writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it's the emperor or another human authority. There's this, there's this constant challenge to, by the way, Peter eventually was crucified upside down by Nero uh, shortly after this letter. Uh, the apostle Paul writing to Rome the, the city that is the seat of Nero, which is like writing to the church in Washington, D.C., this is what he wrote. He says, man, you're living in a very chaotic time. The government is against you as a people. And this is what he says. Paul says, similarly, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which 
is from God. The authorities that exist have been appointed by God. So this is important to understand that in, during the time that this letter, 3 John, was written, the world was upside down, a lot like ours. And, and as Christians, we are not called to, to march on Capitol buildings. We are to lift up the banner of Jesus, be people of grace and obedience and love and respect, and without any shame, proclaim the life-giving hope of Jesus and see the world change one by one. It was in the midst of terrible persecution, a terrible regime in the time of the early church that the church went from about 120 people in an upper room to millions of people within just a couple of generations. And it wasn't because the government was for them or because of anything the government did. It was because Christians rallied behind the message of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit turned the world upside down. This is the lives of the early church. It was a diverse class. And this is what's great about the church today. We see it today in this room. There are different political backgrounds, different economic backgrounds. And the church then was very, very diverse. Uh, you have pagan cultures at that time that were just... I mean, people went to church and there were wild orgies in the world's pagan churches. But in the Christian church, all these people from all these different backgrounds were becoming Christians. People who were rich, who were poor, who were Roman soldiers, who were in the political field, who were uh, shop owners, who were uh, peasants. And they all came together from different cultures and they unified under Christ. And Christian churches in different cities began to pop up with different issues in each city. Like the church in Corinth was more like having church in Las Vegas. So, and uh, the church in Rome was like the, having a church in Washington, D.C. Uh, the church in Jerusalem was uh, very different in that it was uh, more of a traditional perspective. And their, most of their opposition came from Jewish people rather than uh, the Romans. So you have this diverse traveling. Preachers were everywhere. And uh, they began to go from church to church as churches began to grow all over the, the world, and some of them were false. And today in Third John, he writes to a friend of his who works at a church, who volunteers at a church, and he's telling him about the good and the bad in some of the people that are in his church. And so three of them are great men, John and two other guys, but one of them who's a leader is a big baby. And this is real interesting here because four portraits of four men, still like us today, John is writing to, to one, and he's mentioning two others, and he's writing to a personal friend. In fact, he keeps saying, dear friend, dear friend, dear friend, or loved friend. Okay, short letter, very short, 14 verses. We're going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it. Here we go. Third John, beginning with verse 1, it says, the elder, that's John, to my friend, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse 5, now, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Um, they have told us, meaning the church, uh, we've heard about you. Uh, please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. As people are coming through and speaking, you're taking care of them, even though you don't know who they are, and they're, they're being sent from us. Take care of them and bless them as they move on. He goes, uh, um, verse 7, it was for the sake of the name that they went out 
uh, receiving no help from the pagans or from lost people. Uh, we ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. And we're all on the same mission here. Uh, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Now, dear friend, verse 11, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. We are to imitate others. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does not or does what is evil has not seen God or doesn't know God. And then he says, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write about you, but I do want to, uh, but I do not want to do it with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and I'll talk to you face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet my friends there. Uh, greet the friends there by name. Uh, so I love this. The heart of the one apostle. Man, we've got to remember, the apostle Paul is writing this. He's probably pushing into his, his 80s or 90s at this point. Uh, the apostle John is, is uh, aged. He's, he lives in Ephesus, and he's writing to a church that might possibly be close by, maybe Colossae, because they had a very large house church there. And John is writing to a dear friend who he loves, and he says, man, I love you, but man, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to, to be with you. We're part of a family. Now, this is a personal letter from an aging apostle, and we learn from this letter that there are good and bad examples in every church. We get an insight into the daily life of a New Testament church. So three men and a baby. Here's the three men, one leader, two laymen, one man baby. John is the first man. He's the apostle. He walked with Jesus. Uh, John, man, he's living out his years, like I said, in Ephesus. He's writing letters to the church to encourage them to keep the main thing the main thing. In every letter, he says, love others and walk in the truth. Love others and obey the truth. Love others and walk out in the truth. Love and stand strong in the truth and live it out. We're going to talk about that. The second guy is Gaius, or Gaius. Uh, uh, he is man too, and this is the person that John is writing to. This is actually, whoever thought that if someone said, did you know that there's a letter to a guy named Gaius in the Bible that's written to a guy named Gaius? And like, who is this guy? He's Gaius. And you know, don't you know? It's like, there's a lot of letters that are personal letters in the New Testament written to a church, but also many to individuals. Did you know the gospel of Luke was written to a guy named Theophilus? And that is his name. And he mentions him in chapter one. These are friends writing to friends. And then these letters were passed on. So Gaius is a common name. His name actually appears five times in the New Testament, four different uh, occasions, and it's believed to be up to four different people. Uh, this one is a good friend of John and a leader of the church, considered a great leader and a great shepherd. Uh, then there's a guy named Demetrius. He's man three, and he's spoken highly of, and he's lifted up an example for us to follow. And then there's Diotrephus, which from now on I'm going to call him Dio. What? Writing James Dio. All right. Uh, heavy metal artist of the 80s. Um, so Dio, he is the baby. And he was warned, uh, we are warned, or, or Gaius is warned to avoid this man at all costs. And when I get there, I'm going to give him the fellowship hand. <laughs> Actually, he does talk about, I can't wait to address this issue 
with him face to face when I show up. So five traits to imitate, five traits to avoid. Here we go. Qualities to look for, and we see these in Gaius and Demetrius, and that is, number one, faithful to the truth. He says this in John, uh, 3 John 1, he says, The elder to my friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. He knows it. He keeps it, he teaches it, he's faithful to it, he's unwavering in it. We unpacked this, tree, uh, this reality last week. Uh, John talked about it in 2 John, that we had to be people who walk in the truth. He had the right truth, he had the right doctrine, he understood who Jesus was, he did not waver on that truth, he was faithful to teaching it, sp- uh, spreading it, and keeping it. And uh, what we believe matters, as we talked about last week, if you want to talk a little bit more about what is truth, uh, listen or look up the notes from last week. Uh, Very clearly, what we believe about Jesus matters. Jesus is fully God. He is fully man. He is the Christ, which means he is the promised one and never has been or never will be another one who is the promised one of God to save us from our sin and from ourself. And it is done through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he held uh, strong to that faithful truth that he held on to. Number two, a great trait. Again, these are things you want to look for in a leader. Things you want to look for in a friend. Things you want to look for in a volunteer. You're looking to hang out to connect with somebody who holds true to the truth. The second thing you need to look for or try to imitate someone, people that you model and you want to follow, like a life team leader, a good friend, a a writer, a speaker. Another one is someone who not just knows and believes the right thing, but actually lives the right things. He walks in the truth. 3 John 3 says, uh, uh, telling how you continue to walk in it, walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, talking about Gaius, man, I find no greater joy than knowing that you are walking in the truth. He calls him his children because John himself might have been the guy that led this guy to, to Christ. And he's like, man, you're like a spiritual son to me. And it just, man, makes my heart strong and blessed to know that you're walking in the truth. He doesn't just know it, but he lives it out. He walks in it. He's a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. He's not the phony poser that we talked about last week. In James, the half-brother of Jesus says this about walking in the truth. In James 1, to 24, it says, Do not merely listen to the words, or so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How many times have you ever looked at yourself and forgot what you look like? You'd have to be pretty foolish to do that. He says, someone who shows up at church and says, man, amen, amen to that. Man, I'm going to take some notes on that. But then tomorrow you don't live it? That's about as foolish as someone who can't remember what their own face looks like. But the church is filled with people who are not doers of the word. They know the word, but they don't do it. He says, man, I thank God that you're not one of those posers. I thank God that you are someone who walks in the truth. Man, when you are looking for someone to imitate, to follow, and you know what? We do imitate Christ first, but the apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's good to have examples on this planet, right? It's good to have some tangible bodies and people that we know are not perfect, but they do their best to model Christ like Gaius and Demetrius. Man, these are people that should walk in the truth. Here's the the third thing. He says, these are people that, that are true servants of others. He says, man, he says, dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. 
They've told us uh, about your love, man. Please send them on their way in a matter that honors God. Remember, this was a time when when preachers were coming through. And John and Ephesus, man, Ephesus, by the way, was like the mega church center. After the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the church in Jerusalem basically fell apart. And Jerusalem itself became a port city and a city of rubble for about 300 years. So a lot of the Christians began to really disperse all over the Roman Empire, and a lot of the church leaders ended up in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, there was a hub of church leadership, and from Ephesus, they began to send out missionaries all over the world. Ephesus was a very large city at the time, very prominent city, and so Here's John, who's an elder at the church in Ephesus, and man, and they're just sending out ministers, man. Hey, guys, you got to go to this church over here. Man, they could use a good word. Hey, take this letter and go over here. Take this gospel and go over here. So he says, man, there's guys that are coming to you that you don't even know, strangers, man, and you're serving them and treating them like people who are family. He said, man, we've heard about your love for them. How awesome is it? Thank you, because you are a true servant of others. And guys, listen, he provided for, gave to, fed, and served with nothing in return. He was not trying to, to, to buy some kind of favor or authority or try to make his way back into some sort of power struggle. Most often, when we serve, we serve with little benefit for ourselves. And you don't, you don't serve Kid Venture because you just love kids every single minute of your life. You love them most of the time. But sometimes you show up and you're not in a good mood, but you've been called to serve with, with a little benefit, right? You show up, you greet, you, you, know, you come early and you work at the pit crew. It's not fun unloading that trailer in the rain. It's not fun. Or when it's blistering hot and you're dripping sweat. But you know what? We serve because those are the kind of people that truly are serving others. You serve with little benefit to yourself. It does, you do not expect others to do it, but you step up yourselves. And that's what Gaius did. That's the kind of attitude we should have. This is someone who we should imitate. Faithful, I love this. He says, you are faithful in what you are doing. I love this because when you sign up for something, be faithful to what you sign up to do. He was faithful. He was consistent. He was reliable. He shows that he's ready. Instant in season, out of season, as the Apostle Paul would say. So some of you guys, you sign up for something, be faithful in all that you do. Okay? I love this. What a great model. Um, Man, I'm so proud of our volunteers. Verse 7 says, it was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the the pagans, meaning Christians are counterculture and how we serve, and the world's not going to pay our way through the kingdom. we got to support each other. And he says that we ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people, And I love this, so that we may work together for the truth. See, we work together for the truth. When we serve, when we volunteer, when when you're looking for someone who, like when we're looking for life team leaders and when we're looking for uh, leaders who who are to lead a ministry or lead a small group, man, we're looking for people who are going to be faithful, who are going to follow through and who understand that the mission is not about their popularity. It's not about their position. It's not about their convenience. It's for the sake of the truth we work together. So when you show up, you may feel like you're just babysitting over there, but what you're doing is you're, you're, you're actually working together so that someone here who brought a child might hear the gospel maybe for the first time, right? And when you, when you set up the pit crew, man, it may be just be sweaty and, man, I'm just doing sound and lights. What's the big deal? No, you are creating an atmosphere and giving people an opportunity to hear the gospel because we are working together for the sake of the truth. And I love this. Guys understood that. And, and that's a, a quality to imitate. 
And then he says this, and he has a good love reputation. I love that. And verse 6, it says, they have told the truth about your love, man. He says, man, they told the church about your love. Man, known for his love, known for his kindness, known for his compassion, known for his gentleness. People just might think that you're just part of the family of Jesus if you act like that. And I love that, man, if you have someone that, man, that just you want to be like, but they just are just the nastiest, mean, angry, upset, but man, he preaches good, or he's really funny, or you know what, run. This is not a quality to imitate, because we are to be known, we are to have a reputation of our love. You know, if, if what a great reputation Living Way has. I mean, we, we hear this, man, that there's some great lovers here of people that give their life and their energy and their time. Man, what a reputation. And then he goes on, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone that is not evil, uh, who does what is evil, has not seen God. Demetrius, he's one of these guys that, that is great. He says he's well spoken of by everyone even by the truth itself. We don't know if that means that he knew Jesus and that Jesus spoke highly of him or that he testifies of the truth of Jesus. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Man, he's basically, accept this guy. You can count on him because he's a good example to follow. And that's this last thing here is, you know, there are people who you wouldn't leave your kids alone with. Uh, because they're just, I mean, just not sure what to think about them. They're, or they're the kind of, they're, you, I'm, that's not the kind of person I want to lead a small group. That's not, you know, but they're a great speaker. Man, they know the Bible. They know, but you know what? Are they a good example to follow? You know, and, the, and sometimes you're not the best example, uh, but that's a, a quality trait that you need to imitate, that you need to be someone who doesn't just say the right things, but lives the right things, does the right things. Someone who doesn't just go to church, but actually lives it out, walks it out, uh, it's okay to imitate others. Just make sure you're imitating the right ones. Uh, we have examples uh, of people, and we're not to make idols of individuals. You know, if you see someone who who kind of meets some of these quality traits, it's good to realize that people are not perfect. People are not uh, without faults. And you might find somebody who has some of these traits, and you might go, man, I want to kind of uh, look to that person a little bit. It's okay to look to that person, even to imitate them a little bit, but it's, imp- you know, imitate their walk with God, not their styles. Don't become, you know, don't, Take over their personality quality traits, you know. Imitate their walk with God. Let their walk with God model how you can walk with God. But it's important that we always remember that people are imperfect, right? I'm not perfect. I am not Jesus. I am not your Savior. I am not God. I will never be without fault. I will never be someone who who will have it right or squared away until I walk with Jesus. You know, I try my best to model Christ to my ability, and, and I believe that there's a spiritual maturity that my wife and I have. That's why we are in ministry. It's required in Titus and Timothy that there's this level of maturity that comes with being a leader, but I'm still not a perfect person, and I don't always do things right. But if you will remember that I'm not a perfect person, but I'm an authentic person who strives to imitate Jesus, then we can learn how to walk and sharpen each other. Now, then he says, there's this one guy, Dio, man, he's a guy who's a snake. He's a leader in the church, and these are five traits to avoid. This is the kind of person that you want to stay away from. Keep in mind, each one of these is a real story of something that happened, and that's why he listed it, which I think is interesting. I wonder what the story behind these are. You go to verse 9, he says, I wrote to the church about, uh, to the church, but Diotrephus, uh, 
who loves to be first. Here's a trait to avoid. Someone who likes to promote themselves. The self-promoter. This is the self-exalting, big ego, arrogant. By the way, that's the first great sin recorded in the Bible. Satan's arrogance and defiance of God's glory. Wanting to be a self, Satan wanting to be a self-promoter was cast from heaven. And guys, this is still an issue in the church today. We have people uh, who, man, they just, man, they want that private parking spot. You better get out of my, I will have you towed if you're in my parking spot. Uh, they like the attention. They like the praise. Man, there's a lot of people in ministry that just like people listening to them. They get in front of people because they just, they like to hear the sound of their own voice and they like that people listen to them and, and they like that people are attracted to their preaching and, and it's so self-motivated. Man, I go to churches and, and man, I always get a kick out of billboards that had the face of the pastor up there. Oh, that's definitely going to make me want to go there. You're the pastor, <laughs> you know? Sometimes you don't even know the guy and some guys, they're celebrity pastors, you know? You know the celebrity pastors, you know, man, do you go? I remember when I first moved here uh, to Texas from Indiana. And, it, okay, don't shout me down because it's still a little bit of my past. Uh, uh, in Indiana, I was part of a charismatic church. And, and, and when I moved to Texas, people used to say, are you going to go to Robert Tilton's church? Just like the, the best church in the nation. I'm like, you're gonna, and I, if you know anything about Robert Tilton, the guy was 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 caught like with his hand in the cookie jar. Man, the guy was is is a, a charlatan, right? But nobody knew that, you know, at the time. They just thought he was like some this megastar. And when I moved here in in 1985 to Texas, and there were Robert Tilton Word of Faith billboards all over town. With his face just just as plastic as ever. He had the perfect hair, man. He had like perfect hair. And I just remember thinking, I, I, there's nothing about that that I want to be. I'm not, we're not going to have a church that's going to have ever Nicole and I's face. We're not self-promoting. Uh, this is not about us. This is about Jesus. That's why our phrase at Living Way is Jesus is the living way. It will always be about Jesus, not me. Um, this is a opposite of Christ's nature. Philippians 2 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ did with us, who being in the very nature God, that means he wasn't like God, sort of God, a piece of God, half God, filled with God, but in his very nature, Jesus is God. He says, though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He became the man Jesus, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, which is the most embarrassing, vile, torturous way to die. I mean, they strip you naked and put you on a cross. They don't leave you in your underwear. They, and they torture you and beat you. It's like he humbled himself. He didn't just die for us. He died the most humiliating, violent, vile possible way at the time that someone could die. That's humility, and that's the character trait that we must imitate, not a self-promoter. The next ones we're going to go through pretty fast. Third John 9 says, uh, a Diotrephus, he will not welcome us. That means he's unteachable. He wouldn't even let the apostle John, the guy who walked with Jesus, the guy who's one of the top three inner circle people of Jesus, who probably spent more time with Jesus than anybody else. He has more 
private notes about Jesus than any other author in the entire New Testament. He gets in the nitty-gritty. He talks about Jesus' prayer life, Jesus' words, and man, he tells us more about Jesus than anybody, but yet this disciple of Jesus, Dio, wouldn't even accept him into his life or even hear from him. See, there are some of you that are just so unteachable that you, man, you're, you're sitting there in judgment of me right now. You're nitpicking everything I say and deciding on your own whether it's worth listening to or not. See, there are people who like to isolate themselves, who have a bit of a rebellious attitude towards authority. They do not receive accountability. They're the Lone Ranger Christians. They're the people who said, I don't need to be a part of a church. I will attend and I will never join because I don't need the church. All I need is Jesus. Well, you do need Jesus, but we need each other. The majority of the teaching of the New Testament is all about one another. Love one another, care for one another, cherish one another, laugh with one another, cry with one another, pray with one another, encourage one another. You know what they all have in common? (laughs) They require you not being alone. They require you being with another, and that one another is the church. It says we don't, some say, man, they they won't even listen to the Apostle John. Well, an unteachable spirit. Here's another quality trait to avoid is slanderous. He says this in verse 10. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about me. Man, this guy loves to gossip. He spreads lies. Man, there's people who are poison in the church. And there are people that love to talk trash about others. Everything they have to say is negative, 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 negative about somebody in the church. About Man, I... Man, when I was a youth pastor, I used to gather at these youth pastor meetings, and it'd be, it was shocking how many of these youth pastors were trash-talking their pastor. I'm like, man, if you don't like your pastor, then quit, because you are a team. You are to work together. That's all about Sean and I, man. If we trash-talk each other, it's to each other's face. <laughs> no, we love each other. Man, we are, you know, we are knit, we are so different, but man, we get along because we are honest and faithful and loyal to each other. We are not slanderous to each other. You will not catch me talking negative about him, and you will not catch him talking negative about me. If we have issues, we go to each other, because that's how we should do it. I won't be, I will never talk badly about the people on our ministry team, because we are a team together. And if I have a problem with you, I'm going to go to you. And I expect you to do the same to me because we are family. Because when we start talking negative, it's called gossip and it's slanderous, which is the next thing that he said that he is and that he is divisive because what it leads is to divisiveness, disunity. He says, he, this D.O. guy, is spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied with just the lies. He even refuses to welcome other believers. Man, he's just going in, and he's not even welcoming people. He's so divisive, he's drawing a line between those that have it and those that don't. He's building an army of people to get behind him. He loves to argue. He loves to quarrel. He, he's just a divider. And this guy's a leader in the church, for crying out loud. Divisive actions and words, in this case, he's even doing it in his own church. Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. This is a word of caution about those who seek to divide the church. Here's the the last one, and that is, Verse 10, he says, he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. He's controlling. 
This is a, a trait to avoid controlling. He leads with an iron fist. He's manipulative. He's emotionally abusive, almost cult-like. He controls the environment of the church by controlling people. He controls people and pressures people with fear and isolation. And if you've ever been church long enough, man, you've seen some sour leaders who like to manipulate people, who like to control people, who like to even abuse people's emotions and, and use fear tactics to get his way or their way or her way. This is a trait that is dangerous. And John says, man, I cannot wait to get there to address this issue face to face. And he says, basically, this is the kind of person that says, if you help or you side with them, if you side with the Apostle John, if you side with this group of people, I'm going to kick you out of the church. That's manipulation. That's control. That's someone who we are not to want to be around or to imitate. So here's the big walkways from this. Five traits to imitate, five traits to avoid. Big walkaway is this. A few insights. And this little tiny 14 verses in 3 John, as that is this. Number one, you can't judge a person's spiritual life by their material blessings. He starts off this letter, he says, Dear John, sorry, Dear Gaius, written by John, uh, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you or that you might prosper even as your soul is getting along. Basically, maybe you heard the verse, I pray that your life, that you prosper in life like you do in your spiritual life. See, this is the key. You can't judge someone's spiritual life on their material blessings. If someone has a car that's nice or a house that's nice or nice clothes and all their bills are paid does not mean that their life is right with God. And someone whose life is right with God might mean that sometimes they struggle with paying their bills, drive a junky car, struggle to make their house payments, and don't live in a very nice uh, environment. You guys, we cannot, and we need to stop judging people based upon their material possessions. His soul was prospering, but his wealth was not. And he was praying, man, I hope that one day he says, man, I hope, guys, I hope as rich as you are in the spirit, I hope that God will bless you to be that rich in this life. But it says if it's not, man, that's okay because you're still rich spiritually. Unlike the other two, uh, or other, unlike the other one, Dio was spiritually poor but materialistically rich. You can be rich in God but materially poor. Your stuff is not an indicator of God's blessing in your life. Those around the world, man, there are many Christians who are materialistically poor but super rich in Christ. You know, we've been to Haiti a few times. We're going to be going again this next year, and I've never seen poverty. It's, it's one of the poorest places in the entire world, definitely in the Western Hemisphere. And you have these believers who have nothing. They have nothing. They have maybe two shirts and a pair of pants, maybe some beat-up shoes, and they literally are living in a hut by the hundreds of thousands and thousands and thousands. Haiti is extremely poor, but, man, there's so many that are rich in the Spirit. I mean, you get in that community of faith, and they're dancing. Their hands are raised. They're celebrating the goodness of God because they are rich. So just because someone has some stuff doesn't mean that God has found them favor because our favor with God is not based upon our material possessions. John tells him that he has a spiritual prosperity. Material prosperity is okay, but spiritual prosperity is better. Okay, here's the second thing I walked away with from 3 John is that some Christians are not as they seem. Dio was a leader in the church. He was in the church, but he was not a true follower of Jesus. 
how did Dio get so powerful? How did this guy rise to the level of a volunteer to a place of leadership to where he could control people in the church? Because people did not stop it. Because people allowed it. Because people put up with it. Because people did not stand for what is right. He was able to get away, to get away with it. Verse 11, he says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. This is the third takeaway from this letter, is that people are always watching us and will follow us, the good and the bad. This is vital to understand if you're a parent or a Christian or wherever you are, is the sad reality of 3 John is this. People not only followed Dio, uh, but they allowed him, and they became the type who did the same thing. They became followers of Dio, and they end up doing the exact same thing, becoming like him. Listen, People are watching. You're going to go to work tomorrow. People are watching. You're going to lunch today. People are watching. You're going to go out tonight, go to a movie tonight. People are watching. Parents, they are still watching when you walk in the door. Your wife is watching. Your husband is watching. Your children are watching. People are watching, and they will follow you. And you are following somebody. He says, make sure that you imitate You imitate somebody that is reflecting God and not someone who's reflecting evil. It's okay to imitate, just follow the right people, but know that people are following you. Which is the next thing, and the last thing I want to say is this, is that our reputation must be greater than theirs. Because there are people that will never be good examples. There are people in the church that will not get it. There will, be, there will always be people in churches, and there will always be churches, there will always be Christians who just don't get it who are not people of love, who are not people of grace, who are not people of compassion. They're violent, they're angry, they're, in, they're vindictive, they're divisive, they're slanderous. There are people who will always, man, they were there 2,000 years ago. They're still in there today. They're still in here today. But we have got to have a reputation that's greater than theirs so that people don't go, oh, man, all those Christians are just like that. All those Christians are just so negative, so judgmental, so hateful. Not this one. Not, not these. Not these. Not these guys. Let's have a reputation that's greater than theirs. There'll always be those that have a reputation. But I love how, how he says, man, be an imitator of what is good. And let's have the better reputation. I want to end with this passage right here. I'm going to pray with you. And if you're sitting down or tearing down Kid Venture, go ahead and slip out because they have a movie. And, and uh, as soon as we're done with service, only you guys to pick up your kids as soon as possible. Romans 12 says this. Dear friends, do not imitate is where we're at. Our actions, our lives, our reliability, our purity, our loyalty has got to be greater than theirs. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, do everything that you can to live at peace with everyone. This is a good thing to know right now in this political season that we're in. Do everything that is humanly possible within your ability to live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. You're like thinking, yeah, pew, 
right in their head. You know, this is actually a form of medicine. He's like, you know what? When you bless someone, when you are reaching out, when you feed and you're thirsty, giving them something to drink when they're thirsty, he says you're like medicine. It's like you're a healing agent in their life. It's not vindictive. It's healing. And he says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, this is a great season to put this to practice. Let our reputation as a church, as Christians, be greater than theirs. Ours, mine, your reputation. I hope you see Jesus in me, and that's my biggest prayer, is that I can be like these three guys, like John, Gaius, and uh, Demetrius, that I can be a little bit like those, that I will have these traits that maybe you can imitate. But let's do this together. Let's our reputation be a reputation of love and compassion and grace, people that walk in the truth. This little personal letter from a friend to a friend is a great challenge for us today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are here with us uh, this morning. And, and I, God, I thank you that, you, God, this is a challenging word for many of us. And God, it's, it's a test of the Holy Spirit in our life to obey this. And God, I pray that we would hear the voice of the Lord on this issue and that we would respond with grace and that we would respond uh, with conviction, that we'd be people worthy of imitating, that we would be people who, who rise above the fray of negativity and divisiveness and angry responses. And, and God, that we would just be people that are gracious and loving and realize that our kingdom is greater than any kingdom on this earth or any government or any plan on this earth. But God, as followers of Jesus Christ, that our reputation is the reputation that helps people to find Jesus Christ. God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.